You're listening to Bow Down to Us, the games edition. A gaming podcast for people who want honest opinions by freaks with nothing better to do with their time. Here's Roger and his crew. Slackass. Call me blind or whatever. You literate, Slackass. Your ass is illiterate. You called me a sack ass, not even a slack ass. Get it right. I said slack. Although I prefer sack ass. Now that you say that, that's my new one. I'm sure you do. Numb nuts and sack asses. (laughs) (laughs) Which which leads us to EA. (laughs) Because they are full of both. Actually, may as well start this now. Because you want to rant. Oh, dude, I have to. And I'm going to be actually (laughs) logging off. So for everybody who's listening, I'm actually not going to be riding this train tonight. Vince is going to take over. It is my eldest daughter's birthday. We are celebrating it. It's it's the lovely young lady who records the intros for our podcast. Well, she's finally a big girl. Um, So I'm not going to be actually doing this, but I'm going to leave everything on so that it can still broadcast as well as record. And the boys are going to take the show over and but but i of course am editing it tomorrow so i will make sure to take out any insults towards my person but before i go <laughs> last week we made the mistake of being very kind towards ea for their apb promotion that they got going on right now wherein if you purchased APB, you can get a digital download, free digital download of another game to replace it as a, you know, show of good faith because the game didn't last, didn't have any content, and is now gone. Now, the funny thing about this, <laughs> and this I'm speaking firsthand knowledge because I have been going back and forth with EA support, and I'm using Vince's air quotes here. You can't see it. Support <laughs> is in air quotes here, folks. You got to trust me on this. I've been going back and forth with them now for days because I applied for this. I got told it would not be a problem. I got given the instructions. I stated that it was a digital download from Steam. Not a problem, but I would need a receipt from it. I said, I don't have the receipt. Who the hell keeps their email receipts from Steam for games? I do. I don't. I I don't. So anyway, so they said, (laughs) not a problem. You can contact Steam support, get a receipt copy, uh, an email of the, the receipt sent to you again, blah, blah, blah. So I go through the trouble of contacting Steam and they say, no, we can't do that for you. That's just the way that our database is set up. We can't print or send you the receipt again. But if you go to here and you do this and you do this, then it's going to show when you purchased it, blah, blah, blah. Cool. No problem. So I take a screenshot. I send it to, to uh, EA. At this point now, EA is saying, we cannot offer you this free download because you purchased the game outside of the period that we're going for this. They're going back 60 days. So basically this is what it boils down to. And I told support again with the air quotes, this, if you chose to pre-order the game to show support for both real time worlds, as well as EA and actually buy the game, or if you bought it, you know, in that launch week, you are not going to be able to get a replacement game. If, however, you are an illiterate fuck who didn't bother to check all the (laughs) negative, the masses of negative reviews, or basically you like hurting yourself, you don't like yourself a lot, you like hurting yourself and you bought the game anyways, despite all the bad reviews, they are rewarding that kind of stupidity and you will be able to get a replacement game. Basically, if you are outside of that cutoff period, and we're talking a couple of weeks, then you are not getting the game. Again, the only people who are going to get a replacement are those who picked up the game weeks later, which is a small goddamn population because most people read the negative reviews and so did not buy it. So this show of good faith to make the company look good, make them look like they care about their customers is a pile of steaming stinking ass shit that's been laying on the pavement baking in sun for three weeks in Nevada. That's what that is. It is that bad. They don't give a rat's 
ass about their customers. Oh, oh, dude, I've been going, I'm on second level support right now because this is too good to let go of. This is, I'm having too much fun with their quote unquote support right now that I'm willing to let this go because it was like, no, no, no. This is not cool. We we went out of our way to say that you guys were showing a lot of good faith here and you were being good and things like that. What you're doing and is we right. Are important people, Dan. I don't care if it, I don't even care about that. It's just the principle of the matter. And it's sure as shit isn't the free game. I'm not that broke that a $30 free game is going to make or break my week. But apparently EA thinks so because I've made it to second level support now. Who is like, oh, dude, second level support now. <laughs> couple of emails back and forth with this dude he is imploring me to please have a good week at the end of his email seriously <laughs> imploring me i emailed back at that point i'm going are you are you fucking kidding me this is what they taught you at support because seriously i work support for the federal government before if i had ever told someone i implore you to have a good week it would be making them feel as if they're not justified in their feeling like they are not being treated properly. And I said, well, you have got to be making one hell of an assumption. And I, I told him once before too, by the way, because he several emails was, I'm assuming, I'm assuming. And I told him, you're making an ass out of yourself, not me. You know the old saying, because I ain't been made an ass out of yet. Trust me, it's all you. But you're assuming that I care this much about a company that doesn't give a rat's ass about its customers, that it's ruining my week. It's not. There's a principle here, and you just aren't getting it. This, I Seriously, dude, I, I have to scroll for five minutes to get through all the emails that have been going back and forth between me and quote-unquote support. I have been so disgusted by this. It's unbelievable because, again, it boils down to they, they're using as an excuse that it is you had the chance because you've had it long enough to enjoy Enjoy all of the content. Let me repeat that because it's funny. It's hard to get through that line without kind of laughing a little bit. You've had enough time to enjoy all of the content that's in the game, whereas somebody who bought it 60 days ago may not have. Dude, <laughs> you log in and you've experienced all the fucking content. Okay, seriously? You equip a weapon, you've experienced all the content. That's all there is. As much as I love the guys, I enjoyed supporting them. I was really hoping that content would be forthcoming, as would bug, bug fixes, but it never happened. Again, it's I don't want to speak ill of real-time worlds. However, the fact fault. is, well, it is. It is their fault. They did put out a game that didn't have any content, and they were relying on people to want to live in a sandbox world where they create their own content. That doesn't work that way. Now, EA, as the publisher, this is where you have to decide. Is there a certain amount of responsibility that falls on the publisher who's making money off of this that when they are putting out something like this that they should be doing a if it's not a full refund like this isn't, then the free games. Well, if so, then it shouldn't be this kind of manipulative way of doing it we're in. It's only going to be a such a small percentage of people because it's after all of the bad reviews and they're not even advertising this. So it's an even smaller. I mean, we've already established these people can't read because they didn't read the bad reviews. So they're sure shit not reading online that this is, oh, look, you can get a replacement. So very, very few people are actually going to be taking part of this and all they would have been losing is a little bit of bandwidth to give the free replacements so in in closing ea you can suck it in the words of claptrap you can suck it i'm so pissed <laughs> off at them i mean if you're this angry imagine how angry that human avatar dude is yeah, really. <laughs> you can't do nothing about those wings, buddy. They are they're on you for life. Permanent. Try telling that story. Hey, remember that game that came out for like two and a half months in 2010? Yeah. yeah. Shut he, up, man. Shut he, up. He's in a corner things. crying with the guy who's got a Hellgate tattoo on. <laughs> okay, so I just wanted to get that out there because, again, we were encouraging people to contact EAA in order to get the free replacement. And as it turns out, it's a pile of shit and you're quite likely not going to get a replacement because of this. Now, whether or not you choose to go the route that I have and basically have a little fun with support and keep on them and keep on them. I'm not saying that anything's going to come of this. However, 
every time I hit that send, once I've kind of replied back, there's a little bit of gratification there. There really is. Maybe I'll get my money's worth just from replies back. So with that, I'm actually going to be content. Yeah, there's I feel good. There you go, buddy. You want content? Bend the fuck over. All right. I'm going to actually hand the reins over to Vince. I'm going to be taking off. I will be checking periodically to make sure that we're actually still broadcasting and recording. And if everybody's out of the house early, maybe I'll pop in. But otherwise, have a great show. And I will talk to you guys next week. (laughs) Take care, man. Later, man. All right. So I would like to thank our special guest, Roger, for joining us this evening. Over the year of our podcast, we've had several special episodes, the quite popular Raj and Sammy show, the quite unpopular Roger and Joe show. So now we're going to try something different with the Vince and Joe show. See how this one goes. And with nobody behind the wheel, we're just going to go with this. If the stream goes offline, we're going to keep talking. If the recording gets corrupted, we're going to keep talking. Nobody's there pressing the buttons. So we don't know when things are going wrong. So we're just going to keep on happening. And when Raj comes back in an hour and a half, and goes, oh, we didn't record anything? Ah, screw him. He can just make a longer feature at the end. So the first thing (laughs) I want to talk about today... Oh, by the way, how you doing there, Joe? Doing fantastic. Loving the rants. All right. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is quite possibly the most important sentence of the year, and that is World of Warcraft Cataclysm is coming out December 7th. That is official from Blizzard. Of course, being Blizzard, it's possible to change at any time but as best as we know december 7th is the day cataclysm is coming out and have you requested the day off joe uh the entire week (laughs) nice you gotta understand i i have i have been gifted with an extra week of vacation this year at work magically and i'm spending this magic week of extra vacation on cataclysm well hey go for it i mean i work in retail so days off in december ain't happening but i'm sure i'll still get plenty of game time in so That's about all there is to say about Cataclysm. And we're going to move into another release date news. And that I just read about a half hour ago, even though uh, it was technically announced several hours ago. I just got home. And that is DC Universe Online has been pushed back from a November release until early 2011. If we remember, I believe it was last week, I was just asking about the status of the beta test and how the release was supposed to be right around the corner. And, well, I guess somebody heard me and went, hey, that guy's right. We haven't done any testing yet. So they're delaying the release of the game until sometime early in 2011, which puts the game dangerously close to the Old Republic's timeline. And not so sure how well that one's going to work out. They're going to play to different audiences, but I'm probably only going to play one of them. What about you? See, I think that's the key, though, is it plays the different audiences. Like, I will play both games. There's no doubt in my mind that I will play both games because there's no way in hell I'm not playing DC Universe Online and Star Wars. Even if I only play it for a month, I'm going to fucking I'm going to play the damn game. Um, but I think the key is that it is going to be two different niche markets. And we were talking about this before. Where Each MMO, it's not so much that it has to compete with the other MMOs as far as like being an MMO. It's they're carving their own niche. The action comic hero adventure MMO, which is going to be DC Universe Online, really only has to compete with Champions Online and City of Heroes, City of Villains, and and basically that's their little string, whereas Star Wars The Old Republic has the sci-fi section uh, locked down. So these two are going to be completely different uh, branches of the MMO tree, so to speak. So I think that... Pushing it back, first of all, I think was a smart move on their part. Uh, Sony, if you're listening, I'll be more than happy to test this game for you extensively. I will quit my current games to play this game for you and give you tons of feedback. Um, it, It gives them time to actually compete because now they can start seeing what other people are releasing, other games that are starting to to come further into the development cycle and sit there and compare this to their own beta and their own uh, basically to see what's going on in their own beta and then compare it to what everybody else has seen, what everybody else is getting for feedback. And it will hopefully allow them to create a better game. Um, yes, it was the original date was very rushed. And I'm I, personally, I'm happy to see that it's getting pushed back, not because I don't want to play it, but because it's the smart thing to do. Yeah, as compared to Final Fantasy 14, where, you know, the status of their testing with their uh, release date coming around the corner and we've seen uh, how well that launch is going. Although actually, apparently it's doing quite well because they're opening up new servers, which means absolutely nobody read my article. 
Sorry. Honestly, just because they're opening up new servers does not mean it's doing well. It just means that the current servers are fucked. That's all. <laughs> well, this one is not working. Let's try this one. Yeah. But uh, it's good that you mentioned the beta testing because they did actually release some information on the beta itself. And anybody who has to this point pre-ordered the game or pre-orders it up until the November 15th deadline is guaranteed a spot in the beta no later than November 30th. I, they didn't quite get into much uh, detail about people who aren't pre-ordering. I would assume there's still going to be ways into the beta without having to pre-order the game. We remember um, the Ion disaster. <laughs> we're, we're not go- we're not going there. We're not going there. Uh, but uh, they said it's not that likely that most people without pre-ordering they're probably going to get in about a week before the launch when they do their big end of the beta event. So uh, if you really, really want to try the game out, uh, you got to pre-order that bad boy. And uh, they said that the beta will definitely be in full swing no later than November 30th. So moving on to yet another MMO on our list, we're going into Terra, everybody's favorite subject to talk about. And we saw some actual gameplay this past week. Very exciting gameplay, too. Indeed. On the, uh, I think it was the European forums, they started doing uh, previews of the classes. Uh, we got two of them this week, the Archer and the Sorcerer. And I'm going to talk about the Sorcerer first because, at least to me, it was the le- less interesting of the two, where it's it's your typical mage class, you know, cloth armor, pretty fragile, lots of kiting and just slowing down the enemy, running around. Uh, they said that they're going to get a blink ability. We saw in the video that they had that they are getting a, a, a defensive shield. So it's going to be a lot of running around, uh, kiting the enemies, and just burning them down as quick as you can before they kill you. And the coolest thing about the Sorcerer gameplay that I got was their disc weapon. And how we know that they have this magical disc that they use as a focus for their spells. But just watching how dynamic that disc is in the combat, moving around, each spell has a different animation for the disc. I thought that was a wonderful bit of detail. I wasn't terribly impressed by the Sorcerer. Again, it's just because it's a class I'm not really going to be playing. Um, it was very nice to see. Um, and, but for me, the real, the real showstopper among everything was just seeing the interface. Really actually getting to see the interface in action. Yes, you can kite, you can do all sorts of wonderful things like that. But if you don't have a good interface in order to do it with, well, then you're pretty much fucked. Um, But yeah, I mean, the Sorcerer was kind of okay. It was kind of cool. I like the concept behind it, but you're right. It's your stereotypical mage. Now, we want to talk about the one that I absolutely did love and is making me kind of question whether or not I actually want to play a healer. (laughs) The Archer. Go for it. Okay, the archer is your ranger class. Now, every game really has one, um, but everyone has its own unique flavor. Um, the terror archers are trained at a very young age at the techniques of handling a bow and arrow and also how to build a perfect, uh, basically, concentration of physical fitness. They are like the most deadly warriors that they can be produced uh, from this sort of battlefield long-range mechanics. Um, basically, they can move quickly they can cover large distances very effortlessly they can bring bows and arrows wherever they're needed whenever where they're needed uh basically it is they rain death upon their enemies now one of the coolest things i thought about this was basically how the the character class was in close combat and everything else it seems a lot more fluid than like let's say the warcraft hunter okay now the warcraft hunter has always been one of my favorite classes but i mean you can see the arrows pelting enemies and pushing them back you're kiting somebody you can knock them back with arrows why because that's what's actually going to happen you get a shot at somebody in the head because you took the time to aim you do extra damage that's just awesome and also the way that they handled traps I thought was ridiculous as well because not only were they able to set traps very expertly and it was this magical construct that they put into the ground uh, but they could also when if the traps didn't go off they could pick them back up so I thought that was an interesting little feature because I mean one of the things that we've in past games like with shamans and world of warcraft totems get left behind you get, can't pick them up you're going to get back aggro here Hunters can pick up their traps so that they don't persist after they've moved on and cause accidental aggro. But I mean, it was just absolutely stunning. The barrages, the magical effects, the the way that when they pulled back on a bow, it was a seemingly normal looking bow. Then all of a sudden these runes appeared in front of it and just arrows just shot off. It was 
it was exciting. I, I mean, it was really exciting. <laughs> I was very, very happy about this. Also, the targeting reticle was yes. perfect. The targeting reticle is smack dab in the center of the screen, but not only is it smack dab in the center of the screen, and I, and, and I don't remember, they didn't say anything about it, but the Hunter's one changed, or the Archer's one changed. It went from a standard crosshair to like this crosshair with an indicator around the outside. And I don't know if that was distance or aggro or whatever it was, but I just thought it was kind of nifty to see how it changed as they were doing different things. I was well, thoroughly impressed. Yeah, they they showed in the sorcerer's video that uh, they had the same reticle. I just think that means that you are on target. You know, it's it's a way to indicate that if you shoot now, you will hit your target. So I, that's what I noticed. As it, when it was hovering over the enemy, it changed to the circle, and as soon as it moved off, it changed back to the cross that we're used to seeing. Well, it's even better. But, yeah, but the the coolest thing for me in the hunter in the hunter video was the fact that you know we know that. Many classes have many abilities in the game that they can charge up and use with extra power. And we saw that the hunter or a hunter. Geez, this is going to be a, a long time getting off of that. Yeah. The archer was able to charge their arrow on the move, which is you know yes. very realistic. Why do you have to stand still to pull back an arrow? You can pull back an arrow just fine while you're running the hell away and then turn around and release a full power shot. So that I thought that was really cool. And how they showed with uh, – some of the hunter's abilities, in addition to pushing the enemy back after firing the shot, the archer also takes a jump back. You know, it's it just very dynamic, very cool. This is the first ranged, you know, archer type character I've cared about since the World of Warcraft Hunter. And that was only because of the pets. I definitely agree. And it really gets me excited for it because it shows exactly how. Uh, dynamic the combat really is and how much is really going on. I mean, people that I've talked to that have gotten to play the game firsthand at like, you know, PAX or, or the E3 events have said the same thing. The ranged combat is where it really shines. And this video really does help put that together. I mean, it's a brief overview, but that brief overview, it's just absolutely stupendous. I mean, be sure to check the site later, folks, because I'm sure we'll put this up in the show notes. It's well worth watching. Yeah. So uh, Frogster next week, I want Lancer. Give me some Lancer. Lancer so, would be good. Papori yes. Lancer particularly. Uh, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we're going to move on to something a little more uh, real world from what we usually talk about. And we're going to talk about the new Medal of Honor game. Now, Medal of Honor has been under some criticism lately because the in the multiplayer mode, the two factions that you can play as are obviously the U.S. soldiers and the Taliban. And this came under a lot of criticism from military families, families of uh, fallen soldiers who said that it's not right that video game players should be able to use the Taliban to kill U.S. soldiers. I and, have a rant about this one. OK, well, you know, I don't want to hold you back because uh, we, we may be covering different, similar themes. So if you have one prepared, go for it. OK, so as Vince said, there was a big to-do about this because it allowed players to play as the Taliban. And we're talking about military bases. We're talking about they were going to deny it for people that were on, on their bases or in military housing. Families were getting ready to sue the company for allowing this to happen. But here's my gripe about this. And this actually came up at work with people that aren't gamers. It's okay for Jewish people to not get their way when it was talking about Nazi Germany in Medal of Honor series before today, when they were talking about all the travesties and all, everything that happened with them, and they were trying to get that pulled. And these same people are like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's just Nazis. It's just Nazis. But because we want to have something more modern, we want to have something, you know, that's happening today. You want to sit there and bitch about it? I'm sorry. This is the reality of the world we live in. It's not a it's not besmirching the memory of those that have fallen. It's a fucking game. And this is something you don't want. You don't like the world. Don't fucking buy the game. You don't want to see how that goes. Fuck it. It doesn't matter. I'm not saying anything. I have family in the military. I have lost family in the war over there. But you know what? What is, I, I don't I personally don't have a fucking problem with this and I don't see why anybody else would. And then the fact that they're caving and they have to cave on this really bothers me. This is essentially censorship. This is nothing better than saying, hey, we understand this is a current event, but you know what? We don't want this in the game. You know what? You're going to fight Care Bears instead. The U.S. government versus Care Bears. Here you go. Have a nice day. 
that irritates me. That irritates me so much because it's been so okay for these first person shooter games to have all sorts of weird, uh, you know, it has been, I don't want to say okay, but I mean, it's, it's, it's been acceptable to have, you know, us versus Nazis or versus the Italians versus Russia and all these games for the last 10 years. And now all of a sudden we're going to fucking cave. I have a problem with this. I have a big problem with this, a very big problem with this. Yeah, I mean, and and it's 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 absolutely pointless. All they're doing is changing the name of a multiplayer only faction from Taliban to quote unquote opposing force. It's not like they're changing anything with the actual game. When you're playing, the way the characters are dressed, the way they talk, the weapons they use, the way they fight, it's obvious who you're fighting. These guys are from Afghanistan. I'm sorry. There's no way you can hide the fact that this guy is an Afghani soldier. You can call him whatever you want he's obviously a taliban representative and go go there, go, ahead, go ahead this also brings up another point did you know that there is a game that was sponsored by the united states government as a form <laughs> as a form of recruitment that was given for free to children across the u.s no more than four years ago in this game players played as in the multiplayer guess what folks taliban in the u.s military Okay, so one side played the terrorist, one side played the military. And you know what the fun part about that was? Each side thought they were playing in as the military. Your opponent saw you as the opposing faction. So the U.S. government is okay to do this, but apparently it's not okay for Medal of Honor to do this. Sorry. And you see, you know, as someone who likes the modern shooters myself, I I, I noticed the distinctions between Call of Duty and Battlefield Bad Company and Medal of Honor. And of the three of them, Medal of Honor is the one that strives the most to be realistic. You know, Call of Duty tells this completely overwrought fictional story, you know, about about who, who cares. But Medal of Honor is really focusing on the soldiers themselves. And I wish I could find this guy's name, but it's an article I read uh, not long after this came out. And this guy was an actual U.S. soldier who served in Afghanistan. He was a uh, quality control consultant, actually on the Call of Duty franchise. You know, he, he was giving them tips about, you know, what was realistic and what wasn't and how they wanted to go about things. And he came out in this huge rant defending the competition, defending EA and Medal of Honor about how, you know, it, it's so it's so goofy how the way that they're twisting the words and like, oh, we can't have our kids playing as terrorists fighting the American soldiers. All right, all right, slow, slow the fuck down for a second. The Taliban aren't terrorists. The Taliban is merely Afghanistan's government forces. You know, they are fighting for their homeland and what they believe in. Now, what they believe in, you know, is is questionable by moral standards. We're not going to get into that because it's a fucking game and it's a name. But all of the U.S. soldiers who fought against the Taliban respected them. You know, they obviously wanted to kill them, but they still respected them because they were standing up against this superior U.S. force to fight for their homeland. And he, he comes out and says, you know, if it was U.S. versus Al Qaeda, of course, that would be ludicrous and stupid. But having U.S. forces fighting the Afghanistan forces actually happening in real life is exactly what the video game should be and depicting the realism of the situation and honestly changing the name from the Taliban to the opposing force is almost a slap in the face to the American soldiers as the way he saw it. This is an actual U.S. soldier. The way he saw it is that somehow it made their fight less important because you're allowed to fight Japanese and Germans in World War II games. You're allowed to fight the Russians and, you know, the Cold War based games, other people who killed American soldiers as well. But because the history was being preserved, it kept the honor and the integrity of the setting and it made it more more realistic. And just changing the name, something as simple and stupid as that, pretty much just, just throws away any bit of anything they had going for them. And, and I thought that was really, really interesting. I'm going to really try to find this article and post it on the forums or the show notes or something, because like I said, this is an article written by an actual U.S. soldier who actually fought the Taliban in Afghanistan. And this is the way he feels about it. Well, moving on, I think we need to, because we've, we've just got a little more spirited than I yeah, anticipated. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Let, let's talk about Batman. You're a resident bat nerd. So why don't you run away with this one? 
Batman Arkham City is coming out very, very soon, uh, and we have actually gotten a little more news about the detective mode. Apparently, there's going to be new upgrades to detective mode. Now, people thought that in the first game, it took too much away from the game. It was Batman able to see through walls, check, you know, and just see way too much going on. But here, there's actually adding a level of complexity to it. Let's say that there's an informer in a gang of bad guys. You need to find that informer. You go into free combat mode without putting this on and you might accidentally take him out. Well, then you, you can't talk to the informer because you've just knocked his shit out. Now, detective mode will allow you to, to differentiate between different people. So you're going to see who the bad guy is. You'll be able to mark who your informant is and take down everyone else but him and then get more information to progress the story. I think that's a awesome awesome little tweak to a mechanic that really shows that they're not just resting on their laurels with the first game they're updating it and they're taking it to another level i was very impressed by that not only that but the gameplay changes is it's perfectly in tune with the character i mean it's it's standard process that you know at various times but you know it's, it wouldn't be the first time batman had some sort of facial recognition software built into his cowl and uh, in this game he Oh no, Oracle's not there. He had, but he had does have some backup in this game, right? Yes. Okay. So it's completely you know, in character that he would run the facial recognition software and have his helper in his ear telling him, "Hey, that's the guy you got to talk to." So it's not just a gameplay change, it but it, it still fits the character, which well, is exactly what Arkham Asylum is all about. Take it another level, too. I mean, let's say that you're in a group of bad guys and you want to get information, but you don't have an informant. This will also tell you who is willing to talk, who will break, who's nervous, who you can scare the absolute shit out of by dropping him and playing ping pong with him and then getting all the information you need from them to move on to the storyline. And I think that's also very important, too, because that's a very stereotypical Batman thing to grab somebody, dangle them from the side of a building by their foot and drop them, you know, only to save them at the last minute to, sh to scare them crap out of them break their legs whatever to get whatever information he needs in order to finish the fight you know and that's a very batman-esque thing and i like the fact that they're cooking this into the game yeah and it's just the big bad bat is even bigger and badder this time around it seems now another good point of news about this is rocksteady has stated that arkham city is complete and playable from start to finish that means my friends this game will be in our hands soon and that means that if they have the same level of quality they have in that first game, we are not going to have any bugs at all. They didn't have any bugs when the game was first released, at least on the 360 that I could see. And I played the shit out of that game to the point where I'm not even sure my disc will actually still run. Um, <laughs> but that's really good news because it's nice to see that a game has been complete and done and ready to go right now. Yeah, so uh, moving from Batman onto some wonderful Left for Dead, we got some great news about the Sacrifice downloadable content. And that is that the Sacrifice, as we know, is coming October 5th. That's a, uh, hey, tomorrow to <laughs> Left for Dead, Left for Dead 2 on PC as well as Macintosh. Uh, Left for Dead 2 and The Passing will both be officially launching on the Mac platform tomorrow with Left for Dead itself coming before Halloween to the Mac platform. And uh, I, you played Left 4 Dead, right, Joe? Oh, yes. Yes. All right. Yes. So yes. Uh, again, I'm going to hand this one off to you to, to explain a little bit more about exactly what the sacrifice is. Well, the sacrifice DLC, um, the best way I can put it is you're going to lose somebody. Now, the whole game, everything about these games is all about survival. It's about getting your team from point A to point B safely against hordes of zombies, hordes of mutations, witches and, and jockeys and, and boomers and the whole slew of everything with the world going to shit around you. Your job is to stay alive. Well, not everybody stays alive in those movies. If you watched a zombie movie, you know somebody, somebody is going to die. At least one person is going to die. Well, instead of just losing them in, you know, a, a manner, the sacrifice, how are they going to justify it? This, this is going to be a noble sacrifice. This is going to be something that is necessary, that somebody's going to have to make a choice to do this so that the others may live. And that adds a certain 
weight to your decisions in the game because who do you lose? You know, do you do you let the token black guy die like in every other horror movie? Do you let the, the token female die, you know, because she ran up the stairs instead of out of the building? How is this going to happen? So this is added anxiety, this added pressure to the to the game that I it just adds even more. It adds a further cinematic quality to this game and you kind of really get that especially from this first person shooter because for a first person shooter there there are very few that do nearly as well as this one does and just to, to further that cinematic quality the video that we saw about the sacrifice as well where it's just drama on top of drama like things it, it the shit has literally hit the fan there are tanks barreling down the highway they have nowhere to run Someone has to make that last stand and they show the old dude. I don't, I don't know his name. The old dude running in to hold back the enemies while while his his companions are. You can see the emotion in their faces are stricken whether to stop him or let him go and get the fuck out of there themselves. I it just it, I really wish I had played these games more and I'm not going to get into why I haven't. But it, it's good stuff. And, you know, Valve, they're 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 the best at what they do. <laughs> Very, very seldom have I really, really, really fallen in love with a first-person shooter game, but Left 4 Dead series will always hold a special place in my heart because they do such wonderful things like this, and I can't wait to see it. So again, that's coming out tomorrow. Uh, PC and Mac, absolutely free. Of course, if you're on the 360, it's going to cost you 560 points, the Microsoft equivalent of seven real world dollars. Uh, it, it, it's probably seven dollars well spent because it, the DLC does apply to both games. And Left 4 Dead, you get to play the passing, or I'm sorry, not passing, the cross, oh, goodness, the sacrifice, that's the one, <laughs> the sacrifice downloadable content in either game. And if you get it for left for dead 2 you actually unlock the first chapter of the original left for dead playable in left for dead 2 with the left for dead 2 upgrades to the weaponry and, and items and stuff so e even at seven bucks uh, i've played i've paid seven bucks for a lot less than that in a video game <coughs> which one <clears throat> oh. speaking of things we'd like to sacrifice yeah <laughs> and so of course no, what you got? I was going to say, we, we need to move along from this, I think. Yeah. And I think we need to go with some more. F I don't know if we would call it fail. Would you call it fail? I, I'm not going to call it fail, but uh, unexpected news. We got some information about the release of the Nintendo 3DS. They said it is coming out February 26, 2011 in Japan, uh, shortly following sometime in the spring for North America, Europe, etc. Now, that's not surprising. We were, we were kind of thinking maybe it would be out by the end of the year, but uh, okay. The surprising thing is the cost. It is going to cost 25,000 yen. Uh, it, that's about 300 bucks American, which honestly, for the amount of technology you're getting, I'd say it's fairly reasonable. I, I don't know how much 3D technology costs. But it's a very non-Nintendo number to me. Nintendo, uh, that, that's, that's more than the Wii was at, at a full home console. Uh, the, the, the DS came out at what, like uh, 179 when it first came out, I think it was? 179. Yeah. $300 is such a non-Nintendo number. That's, that's beyond Sony numbers for a handheld. Yeah. See, here, that's really my problem is that number. It's a handheld. It's a handheld device. As of right now, it costs more to buy this than it does to buy an, uh, an Xbox 360. You know, and that, that really kind of irritates me because while it's a decent technology and I was kind of all gun ho about it to begin with, I'm really starting to second guess it. I mean, it has a pretty impressive title list um, off the bat, um, but at the same point, I can't really justify spending $300 on a Nintendo DS. I think that's a little bit pricey. Um, I understand that there's a lot of technology involved in it, but at this point, I'll just keep along with my normal DS until the price drops. Yeah, I mean, it, a part of me can justify $300 for a 3D Professor Layton, though. <laughs> Professor Layton's a good choice. Uh, the Ocarina of Time 3DS is a great, uh, great case for it, as well as Super Monkey Ball and Super Street Fighter for the 3D edition. Uh, I mean, they do. They have some good games and there's going to be some really good games coming out for it. I mean, we're going to have a Kid Icarus game. We're going to have some awesome games in there. But 
I just, I can't, I can't see it. I can't see $300, $250 for a handheld system. Well, I, I want to say other hardware in the past has been more expensive in Japan than it has in America. I just, from memory, I seem to remember things lining up kind of like that, how the Japanese are, you know, more early adopters than, than the Americans are, at least at certain price points. So I wouldn't put it past Nintendo to release it for, say, maybe 250 in America, but that's all conjecture at this point. But uh, we're going to have to see how that one works out. Well, I mean, and, and Ian Derek makes a great, great point in the ther- in the the, uh, the the chat here. We spend three hundred dollars on four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars on the the top tip phone, but at the same point, my phone does a hell of a lot more as far as gaming and communication and everything else than the Nintendo 3DS does right off the bat. I mean, people who drop five hundred dollars on the newest phone will probably drop three hundred dollars on the Nintendo 3DS, um, and they are really starting to shape up where they're going to have a Nintendo DS for everybody. They'll have the DS Lite for kids. They'll have the uh, the DSi XL for the old people that can't see much, like Roger, and they'll have the 3DS for the people that want to be on the bleeding edge technology. I can understand that. And I can kind of get behind that to a certain point, but at the same point, it's it, for me personally, it's just I would love to see that be a little bit lower. If it was two hundred dollars, two hundred twenty-five dollars fine but 300 is way out of my range for it well on the bright side at least nintendo has shown in the past a willingness to support their older handheld units for several years after the newer one comes out we saw that with the game boy we saw that the game boy advance ours are we'll see that with the standard ds as well so uh, that's about all we had lined up for roger's show notes but hey guess who's in charge this week that'd be me Uh, i actually have a little bit of time here and i want to talk about guitar hero warriors of rock I picked it up last week. I've actually played through the entire, air quote, quest mode because uh, it is stupid as hell. I, I, it, it, it's it's kind of goofy. It's kind of pointless. But you know what? You got to have some sort of mechanic for advancing the game from one set list to another. I mean, if you just throw a bunch of songs up there, it it's not as... It's not as inviting. It's not as intriguing. You know, breaking it up into different set lists, at least, you know, gives a player, OK, I'm going to pick up. I'm going to play two set lists. I'm going to put it away. So you have to have some sort of mechanic to advance from one set list to another. And before it was just, hey, here's your band. You're going around touring. So I, I have to at least credit Activision for trying to put a story in the Guitar Hero. Uh, it's it, it was just goofy and stupid, but what it, it's it's freaking heavy metal. It's supposed to be over the top and goofy. I, I thought it was a lot of fun how you go around and you have to recruit all the various band members, uh, the people we've seen from the franchise's history. Uh, I keep calling the guy Eddie Riggs. That would be brutal legend. Axel Steele, <laughs> Lars Umlaut, uh, John, Johnny Napalm. And it's cool how they all have their own unique abilities this time around. For example, Johnny Napalm. He is the punk rock guy. And his ability kind of ties into that, how he always starts off with a two times multiplier instead of a one time multiplier and how he uh, he can build his multiplier faster. Kind of ties into the type of music. Punk rock is you know a little faster paced, a, a little more hard edged. So I think it's cool that how each character had their own unique style of music. Uh, Austin Tejas won the game for me. He had the, just the huge great guitar concerto going on with CCR. Uh, my God, freaking Children of the Grave, Black Sabbath. That Tony Iommi guitar solo absolutely kicked my ass. But it cool up to the point where at the halfway point, you have to claim the legendary guitar. And in order to claim the legendary guitar, you have to prove your worthiness to it and appease the gods of rock by playing the entire Rush 2112. Oh, God. 20 minute epic. And what's cool is they took, you know, 2112 was a concept album. They took the story of 2112, extracted it, twisted it a little and plugged it into the Guitar Hero storyline universe as narrated by Rush. Awesome. One of my best gaming moments of the year, even if I almost died from pain after this thing was over, playing this 20-minute epic. Um, it's, it, it's good fun. I've read a lot of crappy reviews about it, basically calling it out for not being as revolutionary as Rock Band. But it doesn't have to be as revolutionary as Rock Band. You know, the previous installments of Guitar Hero, World Tour, Guitar Hero 5, got blasted for trying to be Guitar Hero and – or trying to be Rock Band and not succeeding. 
So now that they're going the other direction and trying to be their own unique thing again, they're getting blasted for not being rock band. It's, as we said in a previous episode, musically, it doesn't get better than a rock band. But for me, Guitar Hero is just more fun. It's got the songs I want to play. I don't care about drums. I don't care about keyboards. I want to see a giant minotaur fighting it out with lightning in the background while I'm playing freaking Megadeth. That's what I want in a, in a heavy metal-themed video game. That's why I love Brutal Legend so much. And just one more small little ranty thing here. I've seen reviewers calling the game out for having too much modern music saying that more than half of the game's set list is from the past decade. And that's absolutely right if you're a fucking idiot because a lot of the game's old school songs from the 60s and the 70s are present in this game as their remastered versions. And of course, they're being credited as the 2006 version of the song instead of the 1976 version of the song. If you are trying to be a serious reviewer for a game and you think Deep Purple's Burn is from 2006, get the fuck out of here. You obviously don't know anything about the music and you have no point talking about this game. I just had a lot of fun with it. That, that's all I wanted to say. Yeah, they really criticized it for that? Yes, they criticized it for not being as, as revolutionary as Rock Band and for having too much modern music that, like I said, is just remastered versions of older songs. See, here's my thing. Music is something that should always be experienced both past and present. So you know what? If you're if they're doing something where they're getting a lot more modern songs or modern versions of songs or updated versions of songs, I can deal with that. I can very, very deal with that. I don't know. I just don't see it as a problem. So for reviewers that are saying that, eh, go jump off a pier. Yeah, I mean, I love old school hard rock and heavy metal. So when this game features Queen... Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, you know, all these old old acts that if you look at the set list, hey, they're all from the last couple of years because it, like I said, it's the remastered version of the song. It's the same exact song. That's still Freddie Mercury singing Bohemian Rhapsody. Now, nothing has changed about the song except the date next to it because they cleaned up the audio a bit. So it, I felt the game had a great mix of old stuff with new stuff. I, I caught on to some new newer bands that I had never heard of before that I enjoyed as well as playing classic songs that, that I've loved for years. And so we're going to close the show out there. Uh, again, the special thanks to our guest, Roger, at the beginning of the show. He will also be returning with a pre-recorded segment talking about the Borderlands downloadable content, Claptrap's new robot revolution. So be sure to check the downloaded version if you're in the live audience because uh, – I forget it. Who wants to listen to Roger anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, I'm here to talk to you about Claptrap's new Robot Revolution, or Robolution, as he likes to say. Uh, the DLC came out on Tuesday of last week, and I took the time to play through it start to finish, which means that I actually did every single quest that I could find everywhere, including the bounty boards, as well as a quest from Marcus, and a nice little hidden cookie that was a fallen Claptrap, but we'll get to that in a little bit. If you take your time and you actually go through all of the quests, despite what you have read from other reviewers, there's more than just four hours of gameplay. And now I don't want you thinking because you would have by now read, no doubt, that there are some grinding quests. The extra time that I'm discussing is not grinding. It's not grinding out claptrap parts for Patricia Tanner. Sorry, Tannis. Yes, she is in this as well, and she is as batshit crazy as ever. But we'll get to that in a little bit as well. The DLC actually does last. It lasted for me over 10 hours, actually, and that was playing as my 50-plus hunter, Mordecai. He's well-geared, was well-geared prior to going into this DLC, and this DLC did nothing but gear him out even more. Um... So it wasn't that I had a problem with the mobs either that they were taking long to kill. It's just that the DLC is actually much heftier than people are letting on if you do everything. Case in point, I read one review and then when I was reading some of the comments of people who were commenting that it was short and whatnot, were saying that they found a uh, large open mind pit and that they 
thought that something would happen in there and they were disappointed that no, disappointed that nothing did the fact is is that something does happen in that large open mind pit and that's when you have to take a quest from marcus to get some musk for a cologne because apparently he's hitting on Dr. Tannis and um, the large mound in the, the middle, which you, you already know is the Rack Hive, only comes alive when you take that quest. And there's a lot of little cookies like that throughout that if you take the time to do it, instead of just concentrating on the Hyperion main quest, the, the, there's a lot of content. Now let's start back from the beginning. When you start the DLC, you're going to go and speak to Dr. Tannis. And as said before, she is still crazy, but it's fun. And she has some great lines like, do these teeth make my gums look fat? <laughs> and all manner of other lines. She sends you on a collection quest. And that's your first one. She needs some claptrap parts. She's working on a huge project and she needs you to go get some parts. So you go and find parts here and there. And then when you cash it in, you find out that now she wants you to gather more quests and rip them out of claptraps if you have to, so that she can complete her, her project. Now, the thing to keep in mind at this point is you have the option, if you want, of turning this into a grind fest. You can continue to go back to the first zone to slaughter claptraps and oh, what manner of claptraps there are. As I said in my review at bowdontos.com, it feels like a midget Mexican wrestling league. You have samurai claptraps, you have these boxing claptraps with huge boxing gloves there's punisher wannabes with skulls painted on their chest there's soldiers you name it it's in there it's hilarious but it's all in there now instead of turning this into a grind fest however what you should be doing is just gathering those quests and gathering the loot or sorry the claptrap parts as you are taking on the other quests because you're going to be fighting claptraps everywhere they're damn well i should say damn near everywhere i did the grinding quests as i was doing everything else and i finished all of them prior to completing the rest of the quests in the game which means that you can easily get it done without it being a grind fest it's just another quest that you have a collection quest as you're doing everything else is it worth taking them all Oh God, yes it is, because the payoff at the end is absolutely hilarious when you see what Dr. Tannis actually has been working on. It's it's just, I don't want to spoil this part of the game, just do it. The last grinding quest has you picking up 150 pieces, and the fact is, by the time you enter some of the other zones later on in the DLC, you will be fighting so many mobs of claptraps seriously many many from all levels rooftops everything you'll be fighting so many that you are easily going to be able to get all of the pieces that you need and it's worth it the main quest line is through blake who is the vp for hyperion he is impressed at how easily you took out his thugs and he would like to hire you because the claptraps are from hyperion and he claims they're simply too user-friendly and interfacing with everything now if you've watched any of the trailers prior to the um, the release of this DLC or if you have just recently checked it out you know the main premise here is that the claptraps are seeking a revolution or as I said a revolution and they want to be free of their oppressors they want to live free the claptraps are interfacing with damn near everything so before long you're facing skag traps you're facing rack traps you're facing all manner of bandit traps everything's been clap trapified this leads to one of my few concerns with the dlc in that if you like claptrap if you enjoy the character then fantastic if there's even a hint of him getting on your nerves this dlc will quickly want you make you wanting to turn the, the sound off unfortunately you can only take those one-liners so many times as you're being attacked by mobs of claptraps or the bandits those one-liners get old i didn't turn off the sound but i kind of groaned a few times some of them were hilarious i I could be called a flesh bag all day long and still chuckle. It was funny. And some of the main uh, lines that the, the the main intergalactic or interplanetary, I should say, ninja assassin uh, spews on the loudspeakers 
those were still funny. I, I still enjoyed those as you enter all of the different areas. However, like I said, all of the claptropified mobs, they tend to get a little bit annoying. You tend to go through them fairly fast, however, so you're not really having that much noise. I don't want it to sound as if it's something that ruins the game. It definitely doesn't. My only other concern comes when you are going up against the trap bosses. Now, granted, I was a level 50 plus hunter, so I didn't have any problems with the mobs, and I sure as shit did not have any problems with the bosses. This is a little disappointing, and it goes back to the same thing wherein Gearbox is having a lot of problems designing challenging boss fights in Borderlands. They weren't in the original game, and they certainly are not with Claptrap's new robot revolution. The first boss you take on is General uh, Nox Trap, and... The design of the arena wherein you fight him, there's a huge pillar in the middle and you basically just have to circle the pillar, come out every once in a while and nail him in the head with whatever type of weapon you want. You're attacked periodically by claptraps, but depending on your class, they're easy to go through. Whether it's phase walking through them, setting up a turret, or in my case, just sending out my Bloodwing. I literally never had to target a single claptrap because my Bloodwing took care of them all easily and then I just concentrated on um, on Noxtrap. That's the same for pretty much all of the boss fights. They simply were not challenging at all, including the final epic battle against the interplanetary ninja assassin Claptrap was fairly easy. Again, I know that is because my character was higher level. However, part of it also has to do with just the boss mechanics, which are lacking. Hopefully this will be something that is addressed in Borderlands 2, which obviously they've hinted at and they'd be fools not to work on. So I'm really looking forward to Borderlands 2. I feel that this was a very good closing of the Borderlands, the first Borderlands game. It was a lot of fun. It had cookies throughout. It's completely, it, it makes fun of itself at every turn. Some of the lines are phenomenal. Blake that you work with from the Hyperion um, Corporation is very, despite himself, still funny and a well done character. Marcus shines in this DLC, including delivering the probably the best line towards the end, and that's another one that I won't spoil either. There's a nice cookie we're in when you're fighting the interplanetary ninja assassin claptrap that they take you back to the very beginning of the game where you get off the bus. I really like this. The one thing, of course, that Borderlands always sets itself apart from everybody else with is the loot and you will not run out of loot in this game if you check out the review that i wrote for the site and you look at the screenshots you will see that in any screenshot wherein my hud is up that my money is maxed out not only is my money maxed out but for those who aren't aware the counter stops, but your actual money does not, your money collection. So by all means, feel free to continue collecting things, selling things and, and whatnot, because it doesn't stop at that 99999. It continues on because you can buy the most expensive items in the shop and still remain at that max loot until you actually do drop down or max money, I should say. And the thing is, is that there's loot everywhere this is not like the other dlcs there are weapons chests everywhere however one of the sad things is that they very few of them contained actual epic or legendary items many of them had whites and had greens in them so don't get as excited when you see them and and you're liable not to simple because they are everywhere when you kill the interplanetary ninja assassin claptrap take a walk around the perimeter of that zone there are 10 um weapons chests there alone and that's not even talking about elsewhere in the game which again i don't want to spoil too much the 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 weapons chests are everywhere so if you're not at the max money wise or if you don't have the best gear trust me that will be rectified with this dlc again as a closing final chapter to borderlands i loved it 
I had a lot of fun. My concerns were minor that a it was a little too easy. The scaling wasn't up to par with my character. The boss fights weren't challenging enough, which is disappointing, but they make up for that more than make up for that with the lines that are delivered, especially the boss lines that are delivered, the quirky humor, including a cluck chicken that again, you have to see it just a howl and whatnot. The DLC is well worth the money was a blast to play and will be a blast to play through again because I'm definitely doing it again. Until we close our eyes for good. Not even 15 minutes later, I'm still walking on the street when I saw the shadow of a man. I've had better days. Okay. What's up? <laughs> no, I just kind of tired. Stayed up way too late last night. Not too bad for you. Yeah. Too bad for you. I will soldier through. Well, you know what you're doing. I like to rescue you. <laughs> I have to. I got no choice. I'm not going to be here. <laughs> but I've got the edit button, so it doesn't really matter. Mr. Joe, who I send a text to, he never answers. Oh, no, I never got your text. Yeah, like hell, you didn't get my text. I know you did. You're just pretending. No, oh, no, I didn't get your text. Yeah, fuck you. I didn't get your text. Yeah, I sent it. <laughs> I sent the text. Dude, it I'm got looking at sent. my text right now. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that you're in Canada, jackass. I don't know. I've sent you texts before and you've got them. What the hell does me being in Canada have to do I with that? I have no clue. I have no, no clue. No, the only no. texts I have are from Tart. Literally, I'm looking at them right now. I sent you a text. Oh yeah, we'll do it anytime. We can we the can pre-record that now. It was September 9th. September 9th at 1:38 p.m. About take, me taking a sick day. I'm taking a screenshot and I'm going to send it I to you. I believe you. I believe you and I have a nasty suspicion that it's going to come up at like 2 o'clock in the morning. The 4th at 12:02 p.m. What time you able to record? I believe you. I believe and you. There like it is. I said. And you never answered me, you flying sack of shit. Oh, yeah, I'm ready to record. I don't believe you. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> <laughs> Although this time your secondary character, he's more like a freaking rogue who can do fan of knives. It's really? awesome. Yeah. He does this little whoosh, and it's like fan of knives. Knives are kind of flying all around and it's awesome. Like the, that move makes him seem more awesome than me. Like the main character. <laughs> and then his awesome healing move. You know, before you used to be able to heal your your the death spank. Um, now, though, the, the healing ability is you put up a freaking rainbow. <laughs> so this like rogue looking Just dude one. sends up this rainbow and the rainbow is what heals you it's hilarious especially if you're playing with someone then because you're like saying I need a rainbow give me a rainbow <laughs> rainbow <laughs> yes double rainbows for the win do him, a, do him a favor and proofread it like four or five times Dude, you are in no position to talk. <laughs> oh, that's why. That's why. Tony to pick up slack. Oh, he's going to love me when he edits this. Oh, 